There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with Dave Schrader. Andy Baird Bernard. Cassie Schrader. And we'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. I learned during that whole segment that my wife, when I ride my bike to work, wants me to wear a tuxedo in a pair. <laughs> Good God. We'll be right back, Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt that talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group, walzer.com. society how can i not everybody hates me i've learned that that everyone on this show hates me i've got big balls oh god i'm wearing gym shorts and a t-shirt because i rode my bike into work today but you're just not telling people they're gym shorts from 1984 tom that's the problem what do you mean I don't see what you guys are talking about. Uh. I'll wear my snazzy gym shorts from now on, I promise. <laughs> Catherine was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Stop uncrossing your legs. I'm like, yes, dear. Whatever. Uh. So Cassie has to play big balls. Thank you so much for that. Really go. What a great day I'm having. Fantastic day that I'm having, uh. no question. Better than the Pee Wee Herman theme. Just think of it that way. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I do. Lo- I used to love Pee Wee. Oh yeah. Oh my God, that uh, show was phenomenal. We used to have the kids. Uh, cartoon cocktails on Saturday mornings at college. Well, no, we you would didn't. get up after a night of drinking. You'd get up and you'd 
we'd all have our our drink of choice out, and we'd have to take shots every time Pee Wee said the secret word or the came secret. up on the show. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you're annihilated by nine o'clock in the morning again. I loved Cherry and Flory. How, uh, you worked a long time to come up with the names on the characters on that show. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It worked, didn't it? It was phenomenal. It was fantastic. And the cowboy, cowboy, cowboy Curtis. Curtis. Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne. And then the other one was. Uh, what's his name? Um, there was the was cartoon Lawrence Fishburne. King. No, there were two Cowboy Curtises. Oh, right. There it was? was. Yeah, it was. Uh, um, what the hell's in the other guy's name? He's a big star now. He's a huge star now. Oh. Who, who is the other Cowboy Curtis, Andy? Uh, let's see here. I only knew Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne was. And you know, I think it was always it, Lawrence Fishburne. Well, I thought there, was, there were two of them. Hold on, let me pull so. up IMDb and see if I Yeah, can... see, get something. I'll read this. Tom Arnold trying to get some publicity. Hmm. This would be a good a good excuse for me to never interview him again because he's a pain in the ass to interview because he's always off on some tangent and he never shuts up. Actor Tom Arnold is mincing no words when it comes to his ex-wife, Roseanne Barr, and the inflammatory tweet that resulted in the cancellation last week of her eponymous ABC sitcom. Barr is obviously a racist, Arnold said in an interview. Yeah, thanks there, Tom. That's really great of you. She's obviously a racist, Arnold said in an interview uh, with Good Morning Britain. Good Morning Britain? Yeah, he's not big in America anymore, Tom. No, he's not. That's true. Uh, On Monday, adding the actress really needs to get off Twitter. So does everybody. Everybody needs to get off Twitter. How about that? That That would work for me really well. You've got to get her phone away from her, he said. ABC pulled the plug on the hit Roseanne revival last Tuesday, hours after Barr published a racist tweet. That was a week ago already? Hmm. My God. A racist tweet about Valerie Jarrett, a former aide to President Barack Obama. Barr has since apologized several times for the derogatory comment, while also blaming the sleep drug Ambien and retweeting conspiracy theories and new attacks on Jarrett. Barr, 65, has also claimed she did not know Jarrett was black. Arnold told Good Morning Britain that he was not surprised by Barr's offensive tweet. I have to say, I saw it coming. I warned everybody, said the 59-year-old actor. Actor? God, he's so... Yeah, he was in True Lies. He was in True Lies. He was in Roseanne. He was in McHale's Navy. Did I mention True Lies? Did you mention... And Roseanne. (laughs) Did I mention that? Uh, He was married to Barr for four rocky years. Arnold was also a writer and actor on the original Roseanne show before Barr fired him in 1994. The same year the couple got divorced. When asked on Monday whether he thought Barr was a racist, Arnold responded, er, yeah, obviously. I based that on the last six months of her tweeting and social media. He continued pointing out her support of President Donald Trump, whom Arnold described as also a racist. What is the proof that Donald Trump is racist? I think Tom Arnold uh, needs everyone to think that he's a virtuous paragon. Isn't it uh, because he's trying to wall off Mexico and... and, uh... He has kind of a separatist but position. So did Barack Obama built a wall in, between the United States and Texas. Between the United States I mean, and Texas? I mean, the United States and Mexico. Well, Texas used to be part of Mexico. Are you on Ambien? I am on Ambien. <laughs> That's all what it is. I mean, everybody everybody expanded that wall pretty much. Not everybody, but a lot of presidents did. I don't know. How does that make him a racist? Here's my. Here's what I would do if I were the president of the United States. I would just bomb the capital of Mexico. Because that com- that country has everything. They could grow anything. They have these magnificent farmlands. They have oil. They have magnificent beaches. The resorts are, are fantastic. But the country is so incredibly corrupt, their own people don't want to live there. Here, here's what they said, in, if you want me to tell you, in an sure. article from January of this year. Mm-hmm. Donald, Trump, uh, Donald Trump's racism, the definitive list. He's been obsessed with race for his entire time. He's, had a, he's been a public figure. He had a history of making racist comments as a New York real estate developer in the 70s and 80s. More recently, his political rise was built on uh, the lie that the nation's first black president was born in Kenya. He then... Uh, he was a birther, wasn't he? Right. Then he right. launched his campaign with a speech describing Mexicans as rapists. That's not true. I remember that speech, and he did not describe Mexicans as rapists. Well, he talked about the fact that these illegals were coming over. And I'll tell you what. If, yeah. Here's one thing I will tell you. If you go to Google News Alerts mm-hmm. and type in the word alien and have yourself start getting emails, mm-hmm. I can understand why there becomes a fear. Yeah. Because, you know, I look it up for my paranormal theme show. Right. So I'm always yes, looking for right. news stories about right. aliens or UFOs, really weird stuff. I will get four to five emails a day about 
And it's not just the same story, but it's about an illegal alien raping, killing, murdering, this, that, mm-hmm. or the other. So I can see if, if you have that kind of stories coming into you all the time. So how, these are all true stories? Yes. How oh you can start God. to see, you know, this person's been deported three yeah. times and yeah. is back in our country and just got had a DUI and killed a family of four. Right. I can understand some of that perspective because you're being bombarded by it. I could see that, yeah. Um, the Trump, of course, uh, what does it say here? The media often falls back on euphemisms when describing Trump's comments about race. Uh, racially loaded, racially charged, tinged, sensitive, and Trump himself has claimed that he is the least racist person. But the truth, according to this article, is that Donald Trump is a racist. He talks and treats people differently based on their race. He's done so for years, and he is continuing to do so. Here we've attempted to compile a definitive list of, of the different things that he said. But, I mean, this is dating all the way through the 70s. So not that I'm okaying it, but, I mean, that's, you know. I have a question for mm-hmm. you because I know you like the show, and that's why I'm going to ask you this question. Does that make Steve Harvey a racist? Because when he talks to white families, he talks to them differently than he talks to black families. Have you noticed that? But there's a difference from that and the way you handle one one set of Why? people than you would. Because there's a, a a line, and I don't think he's being racist. I think he's trying no, to I don't block think he the is line. Either. I don't but think when he's you have being a guy like this, it says uh, Trump treated black employees at his casinos differently, according to multiple sources. A former hotel executive said Trump criticized a black accountant. Black guy is counting my money. I hate it, he said. Oh, yeah, don't be saying that. I think the guy is lazy, and it's probably not his fault. It's just because laziness is a trait in blacks. He actually said that in front of other people. That's what this, according to this article, this is one of the things. Is there any proof of that? In 89, Trump took out ads in New York newspapers urging the death penalty for five black and Latino teenagers accused of raping a white woman in Central Park. It was a lie. He argued they were guilty as late as October of 2016, more than... Ten years after DNA yep. exonerated them. That's exactly right. I remember that case. And in 89, he said, I think sometimes a black may think they don't have an advantage over this and that. And I've said on one occasion, even about myself, if I were starting off today, I would love to be a well-educated black because I really believe they do have an actual advantage. Uh, an obsession with dark-skinned immigrants. He began 2016 with his uh, disparaging Mexican immigrants as criminals and rapists comment. He uses the gang MS-13 to disparage all immigrants. Among many other statements, he suggested that Obama's protection of the Dreamers, otherwise law-abiding immigrants who were brought to the United States illegally as children, Mm -hmm. contributed to the spread of MS-13. And in 2015, Trump called for a total, and this is a quote, a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. I do remember that. Including refusing to readmit Muslim American citizens who were outside the country at the time. Trump said a federal judge hearing uh, hearing a case about Trump University was biased because the judge's Mexican heritage. And yeah. in 2017, Trump said 15,000 recent immigrants from Haiti all have AIDS, and that 40,000 Nigerians once seeing the United uh, once seeing the United States would never go back to their huts in Africa. At the White House on January Maybe he 11th, is a racist, on January 11th, Trump vulgarly called for less immigration from Haiti and Africa and more from Norway. Yeah, I then, do remember didn't that. Didn't he yeah. refer to their countries as poop holes? Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He yeah, spent yeah. years suggesting that the nation's first black president was born not in the United States but in Kenya. Um, I don't know if that's racist if you're a truth or trying to find the truth. Yeah, of, uh, is yeah. this person legitimate? Uh, I don't know. Although I know, what I know is that when JB comes in on Fridays, now I'm going to refer to him as a black. A <laughs> black, yeah, I don't you think know, that's a good plan. JB <laughs> is a black. No, I, yeah, I don't, yeah the, all that stuff, some of that stuff is spun big time, but he did actually mm-hmm. say some of that stuff. I remember him saying yeah. it. Yeah, I, I, it, it just, it's disgusting to me. The whole thing, does anybody get along with anybody anymore? Does anyone get along? Uh, it, it's just very, very difficult. I did like that and woman. just that, understand, so that your listeners aren't all over me, I'm just reading from an no, no, article yeah, he, yeah, he so is. we could try to right. find what is the reality of why are people calling him a racist. I'm just reading what they right. put together as, right. as this. No doubt about it. Do you think that, uh, yeah, because, I mean, obviously you've proven the case here that he has said Oof. many things that are... Oh. He called Puerto Ricans who criticized his administration response to Hurricane Maria politically motivated ingrates. Mm. Well, you know, when the country's <laughs> knocked out and has no power and no drinking water 
and we're, we're kind of holding back, I can understand why they might be a little upset. Well, but the problem is that they're corrupt as hell. He's let's... also retweeted white nationalists without apology. Yeah, let's not do that, shall yeah. we? Yeah, he all ca- these people are drive me nuts. He called some of those who marched alongside white supremacists in Charlottesville, Virginia, very fine people. Yeah, he did. And after David Duke, the former leader of the Ku Klux Klan, endorsed him, Trump was reluctant to disavow Duke, even when asked directly on television. I remember that, too, yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. So I can it. understand, again, when you start getting this heaped, you can see why there's yeah. the conjecture that he is a racist. Yeah, some people, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, see, the problem that I have is is I think that anybody who would, who would run for president or want to be president is a psychopath. You got to be crazy to want to do that job. Well, seriously. here's the thing: we, in order to take racism seriously in this country, yes. we just have to stop talking about racism. I agree. Uh, because the the fact of the matter is, there's not one of us, not one of us, that isn't racist to some degree. And I've met all the do gooders no, that tell me, that. "No, I love everybody." Baloney! I've no, been with know. them yeah, when they the tell worst. me how open hearted they are, and then they're dropping. Oh, that fag and that blah blah, and you're like, really? What? Where's the tolerance? Really? Oh yeah, and you're like behind suppose, closed yeah. doors. They have no problem making a comment about right. lazy Mexicans or uh, black shooting each other, and and they had it coming. Look at their race. You, you hear this comments behind the scenes, <laughs> but then do? public comments, they're totally different people. So it's just the fact that people, in general, we we don't like what we don't understand. Mm-hmm. If we had a chance that instead of making it Black History Day or Black History Month, we just integrated all of history and we taught it properly in this country. We don't teach history anymore. No. We don't. No. And I don't know why that is. But it's because we're separatists and we can't. Yeah, that's you know, true. You, you start doing it one way and then you're not showing what real history is like in our country. Yeah, I would, And now we have to be yeah. careful of who we're going to offend with what the topic is of history we're going to discuss. Why would somebody be offended by true history? If it happened, it happened. And I know people are going to be mad saying, you're a white guy, middle-class white guy, you have no right talking on this. But I think the fact is that the more we hide behind the politics of of racism, instead Mm -hmm. of just reaching our hands out and try to make each other's lives better, that's where the problem lies. Here's the problem I have with people who call other people racist and then show hatred towards someone. Right. Uh, It's not based on race for you. It's based on hatred. You hate somebody... You got a problem. That's mm-hmm. all. Look, I again, where I grew up in first grade at St. Joseph's in first grade, there were black kids, there were Mexican kids, there were uh, Italians. No, that was a Silicon Valley reference. Thank you. <laughs> no, we there were no Asian kids, and I don't know. We just there weren't any Asian people in North Minneapolis. I don't know why that is, but there weren't. Um, but we all got along just fine, and nobody ever. I do remember a kid named Eugene. He was a black kid, and he he referred to me as white trash, and I had no idea what he meant. I was in probably second grade, maybe even third grade. He said, "Oh, you're nothing but poor white trash." And I went, "What does that even mean?" I had no idea what he meant by that. But obviously, somebody in his family, his brothers, sisters, mother, father, cousins, whatever, taught him that uh, you know poor white people are white trash. Well, and everybody has a sense of, of entitlement. And the yeah, pro- yes, here, here's yeah. the real problem. And I'm going to address this to the white and black community and the Hispanic community and, and what's going on out there. Okay, what we're going to do then is take a break right. because we've got 15 seconds, but I do want to hear your point. Okay. So you're going to make, make this point about, well, we'll just we'll readdress it when we right. come back okay. after the break because I think it's a great way to do it. These are talks that nobody ever has because they're afraid to have them. Have you ever noticed that? People will not talk like this on the radio. You're afraid you're going to offend somebody. But, again, it's how you approach it and how you couch it. If you take a definitive stance, that's where it gets messy. I agree. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with more talk with Darkness Dave, Tom Bernardo. Just like all of you, I had been hearing about my pillow and was skeptical that it was as great as everyone says. Well, I received my first my pillow and I love it. It's very comfortable. Stays in that same exact position all night. Fantastic. Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, has a very special offer for Tom Bernard Show listeners. MyPillow is offering more than 50% off his four-pack special, which includes two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first MyPillow. If you already know how great the MyPillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Call 800-516-5146, use promo code TOM, or go to MyPillow.com. But make sure you use promo code TOM. Call 800-516-5146 and use promo code TOM. That's 800-516-5146, promo code TOM. 
Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you can relate to the pure joy of hanging out on the dock. You, family, friends, and the calm of the water. If this sounds like heaven, you're going to want a flow dock. Flow docks are rock solid with double bracing to eliminate side-to-side sway. And get this, you can install, level, and remove your flow dock without even getting into the water. You see, Flo's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make, right down to Flo boat lifts that are quieter, faster, and effortless to install and use. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Flo is about making things easy, meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake. Isn't that why you go there in the first place? See for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. See them at F-L-O-E-I-N-T-L dot com, Flow Docks and Lifts, a better way. You shake my nerves and you rattle my brain. Because a man is saying, you broke my will, but what a thrill. I cannot believe he is still alive. He can't believe he's still alive. <laughs> he can't believe he's still alive. I think you're right about that. He cannot believe Last he's still alive. Last one standing. He is, and he's got like one-tenth of a stomach. But he's coming back. He's touring. He's hitting he Treasure is. Island this year. He's at Treasure Island this year. Absolutely. Unbelievable. I'd love to go see Jerry Lee Lewis. He's he only 82. I know, but he lived a hard life. Right, but to be 82 and have that, I, I just wonder what he's like playing now. If it's like... Yeah. Well, I know that he has a handler. That I do know because a friend oh. of mine ran into him in the London airport, and it was a Gatwick. Is it one of them anyway? He ran into him and he has a handler now. He has something. Come on over here, Mister Lewis. Okay, <laughs> he's got one of those deals going. That's a tough deal, man. I ran into you know a friend that that I've known since I was. Oh, probably 23 years old. As a matter of fact, it was coming into this building. He was coming out, and I was going into the building. He had no idea who I was. And I've known the guy for almost all my life. But he... I worry about that. I can't even remember half my kids' names, Tom. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? Ask the wife. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. Snap and point. Hey, you, kid! That's a lot Boys. of kids. Well, here's uh, Jerry Lee Lewis's 82nd birthday concert. It's cell phone footage, so it's not going to sound great, but... You might get an idea of what he sounds 82nd like. 82nd birthday. Not bad. I'd go see him. Well, he's always been more of a sustained talker than he has a singer. Yeah, so. yeah that's true. Yeah, he doesn't sing, really. What made Milwaukee famous has made a loser out of me. I love that song. When he started doing country songs. Well, I guess they were all kind of country songs. Well, then he hit kind of the gospel route yeah, because he felt yeah. he owed God as a for helping him get his his record career back on track. Jerry Falwell's his cousin, right? Yeah. And then uh, Mickey Gilly, I think Jerry yep. Fall is it? No, Jimmy Swagger. Jimmy Swagger. Right. Jimmy Swagger. Yeah, yeah. Not Jerry Falwell. Jimmy Swagger. Alex his Baldwin cousin. played him in the movie, right? <laughs> yeah. Remember he's exactly. standing on the back of the yeah. old convertible, smacking the Bible, and preaching yeah. on the sidewalk. Fantastic. Great stuff. Dennis Quaid was amazing in that role as Dennis Jerry Quaid. Lewis. Is a hell of an actor. And then he there's that scene at actor. the end of the movie where the two of them, he and Dennis Quaid, are, uh, the real Jerry Lee Lewis and Dennis mm-hmm. Quaid are at the pianos playing the song. That's a pretty good. It uh, is. It is a good ending. You were going to make a point uh, before we went to break. Yeah, you know, I, I think what comes what comes down to is we have to stop, as you said in the last segment. We don't. Nobody has conversations like this, and, nope. and that's because a lot of people don't know how. And I think we need to take time with our kids to stop allowing ignorance. And I don't mean like ignorance is in you just hate everybody, but in ignorance is in they just don't understand why. When we hear how. Blacks are killing blacks constantly. And we see, you know, we see that when something happens that is negative towards the black community, the immediate results in in a lot of cases have become violence and looting, even from within their own community. It sets a precedent. And and the sad part is, is that when African-American leaders step up and black leaders step up, they're considered Uncle Tom's or they're yeah, they're, they're pacified true. by the government instead of realizing, no, maybe what they're really saying means something. Mm-hmm. And listen, if you don't want people, if you don't want white people to cringe when you walk up behind them at the bank teller, stop giving them this on TV to see. Well, I agree. Stop giving them this perspective. But on the other side, you got to teach your kids, right, that this isn't the whole world. This isn't right. everybody. This right. is one collection of people. And, and if everybody got over the sense of entitlement of, well, our, our people were... 
enslaved at one point so we can break this window and burn this building down and we can do this and we can do that and it just start taking respect and responsibility no matter what race you are what Mm -hmm. belief system you are Mm -hmm. to make the world a better place and i'm trying to remember um oh you know it was it was kevin hart uh I, i believe it was maybe i'm mistaken i've been listening to so many books lately but they were talking about ways to make life better do something for somebody in your community Somebody you're right next to and somebody in the world. Oh, no. You know who it was? It was Lisa Berry, an actress who's in the TV show Supernatural. I just met her at Wizard World this weekend. But it was very impactful, and she's an African-American actress. And she just said that she knew if she came up and became famous that she would have the wherewithal to do something. And you do something for somebody next to you, you know, for no reason other than just make things right. And then do something for somebody in your community and then do something for somebody else in the world to keep that touch of connection Instead of feeling all about you, and it's all about Tom, or it's all about Dave in our world, mm-hmm. you, you expand that horizon and teach kids that this isn't the way the world really works. And we could start to break that cycle, but it, it has to be leaders from each one of these communities that come together that are respected within that community that can have a, a, a voice. But then the problem is, too, you've got to then have people that are willing to listen instead of pointing fingers and saying you're, you're a sellout, you're you know doing this, you're doing that. Right. And bring people together. There's no way we're going to definitively wipe out hate. And no. it's, it's a sick sense that we're inbred with this feeling of hating everyone. Yes. Um, and you're right. You, know, you look at kids. Kids can play with kids, and they don't care who, right? They I, don't care at all. I'm so jealous. I'll take my kid out somewhere, yep. and he makes a best friend. We took him out to wrestling a week ago. Um, to IWI Wrestling, right, here in the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. And my son is uh, eight years old. There's a little boy in the row in front of him, little black kid, doesn't care what color he is. They became best of friends. Right. And they were having right. fun cheering for this guy and booing that guy. Right. And it didn't matter. And at the end of the night, he had a best friend. You know, my wife and I walked in knowing each other. We left knowing each other. We didn't meet anybody else around right, us. We didn't right. talk to anybody else. Yep. But kids just have that inherent ability. Do it. And it's instead true. of stifling it, well, we could still teach them stranger danger. But instead of stifling yeah, that, yeah. we should allow them to continue to broaden their horizons of, of getting to know one another. That's how it was. It was wonderful. Seriously, right. going to St. Joseph's was wonderful. And it doesn't matter what color the kid was in your nah, school. You just no, nobody cares. You, you have just as many jerks in every race <laughs> as you well, are going to yeah. have great people. I mean, if, you, if it's true that two-thirds of people on the face of the earth can't think beyond the level of a 12-year-old, mm-hmm. that would be people of all races. So, yeah, you're going to have people of every race doing really stupid things because they're really stupid. And if we learn to de-evolve a word... Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. just this word has no power over anybody anymore. That would be great. Because you know what? If if I sling an amount of anger, the N word out. And that has no power over you. That'd be good. That means it has no power to me. So when I call somebody an N word, I might as well look at, at Andy and call him a scruffy nerf herder. It means nothing. It's, it means nothing. Yeah. It means no, there's no power to it. You can take it and let it be something that angers you. Or you can take it and let it fall flat because then when there's nothing to get a reaction from, that use is, that word is useless. That's been one of the problems, the fact that the derogatory terms for white people have no impact. We don't care. Right. You can call me a honky all you want. I think honky's funny, actually. You know what's funny? <laughs> cracker. I always thought cracker. we were called crackers because we were so white like a saltine. No, it's like a whip cracker. I had no clue about yeah. that. But again, you, you have no idea where the genesis point of right. these terminologies come from. I thought literally I was just being called a cracker because I was so white. My favorite is still flat ass, though. Calling white people flat ass, I think, is hilarious. But again, that's not uh, that's stereotyping because we are flat asses. We are flat that. asses. I, I just, yeah, I, I would like to get to the point where nobody cares about derogatory terms. Right. That everybody gets treated the same. No, nobody gets treated in a special manner. I think that'd be wonderful if we could get to that point. Are we ever going to get there though? There are too many stupid people that vote. I'm sorry. Well, it's not even stupid people that vote. It's just too many people that don't see the importance of getting along. Yeah, that's true. They're so worried yeah, about true. making their own mark. And and I will tell you, I just listened to the Kevin Hart autobiography. It's like an 11-hour biography that he reads. Okay. But it's beautifully told, and you listen to the way his mother instilled these these points in his life, and you see that that's why he is who he is today and right. as successful as he is. Right. And a lot of people would have quit, but he learned. And a lot of parents don't take that time to teach anymore. 
I'm one of them. I, I fully admit there's, I see myself as a failure in some of those categories because it's like, man, I should have really used that as a teaching moment and, and taken them to the next step instead right. of just allowing that to occur and laugh it off. Mm-hmm. And you make a comment and you try to do it jokingly because that's what people do. And then you realize, you know, that just set a really stupid precedent. Right. That just made that word okay. And I shouldn't make that word okay. I agree with you completely. I, I just, once again, I really, really wish that, that people, I really wish that people who grew up, you know, in, in a wealthy neighborhood, white people, would not try to pretend they know everything about what it's like to grow up in the ghetto. Well, I hate when they do that. It's because they want to seem empathetic to where these people have come from. But, the, but do you know where the all. biggest, I believe the b- biggest bone of contention lies is in racism is our government. Oh, I agree. And they perpetrate the cycle of, yeah. of hatred and racism, and here's why. Andy Bernard, could you be any whiter than Andy Bernard? If he wanted to start a business today, he would have to work, grind, and put in the effort. Getting a loan or getting a grant is very hard as a middle-class white guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But if Andy Bernard's mom was one-third any other race, he suddenly has doors open up to him. And yeah. then you watch, except Asian. Right. Yeah. Asians don't get a whole lot of uh, you watch, leg ups either. You watch people come into this country that open up businesses when your family business is struggling and you're not getting any aid from your mm-hmm. government. Right. And in some of these businesses, they're allowed to open up their business and ride tax free for a year mm-hmm. or two to get on their own feet. Yeah. That breeds contempt and hatred because it's I like, agree. why is he better than me? Yeah. And then it's that's where the American pride facade builds up. Because then it's, I'm American, I grew up, and it shouldn't be about that. It should be equal opportunity across the board. Works for me. And that if you're going to give this person, and and there's no reason that we shouldn't treat them well. If they're going to come here and bust their ass to open up a business and make a difference and an impact as opposed to leeching off the system, Mm -hmm. then give them the aid to make that difference and make a difference in their neighborhoods. That's great. But you have to be equal across the board for all of us. I would love that. And I think that when you see that, a lot of that is the bred contempt from our government if you remove that big part of it and all of a sudden white men could start feeling like oh we're all on the same playing field now and you know donald trump made the one comment of man if i started over i'd wish i was a black guy because you're going to get a lot more opportunities now yeah that's a really stupid thing to say it is stupid but in the sense i do understand where he's coming from on the fact that you know that we are we are going back to make reparations for things that occurred and we're trying to appease and we're trying to make well instead of just Let's just make the world better by everybody treating each other better, by actually showing equality. Equality doesn't come from lifting somebody up from the bottom and giving them more chances. It's helping lifting them up to get you to the same level so that you can work together. That's equality. What I would like to see is that people would just let it go. How do you connect Andy Bernard to racism and, and, and slavery? Because he's a privileged white kid. But he will never know what it's like to have to work for a living. He's Tom Bernard's son. So there's yeah, that immediate that just terrible. Right. And that's an immediate terrible. prejudice built in. It has nothing to do with the fact that the guy knows what he's doing and can hook up a system like MacGyver in a in a right. in an office space and get you going and he works for what he does. It's a perceived per se, you know, it's a, a conceptual perception that's being passed along. Mm-hmm. And then we perpetrate it. And then we're mad because he got that opportunity and somebody else didn't. Mm-hmm. Instead of like Kevin Hart said, I didn't get mad. He learned the shoulder shrug routine. I could have let it impact me and build hatred and right, anger and resentment, right. or I just shook it off and said, well, I just got to do better. Because if I want Andy Bernard's job, I've got to show that I can do this, mm-hmm. and I can do it better than Andy. And, man, nobody's got that go, go-to go attitude anymore of, I'm just going to be better, and then yeah, I'll get no. that position. Do you think that Hollywood bears a lot of responsibility for this? Because they, phony bastards that they are, love to pretend they care about everybody else. Oh, it's just... And and when I see... I used to love Leonardo DiCaprio. I mm-hmm. think he's a magnificent actor. But when he gets out there and starts talking about global warming and then gets in his... Uh, you know, his limousine to to ride down to his airplane to fly to his yacht. Yeah, let's not worry about global warming when you got yachts and airplanes and limousines. Brenda is on the phone. It's just an amazing situation. All right. Well, the fact is, it's just, you know, understand where they come from. But I, I do give credit yeah. to celebrities that are willing to step outside and try to make a difference with the positivity that they have in their lives, too. All two of them. Right. <laughs> you mean both of them? Yeah. Is that what we're going to do? Brenda, how are you today? 
I'm well. How are you doing? Marvelously well. We're just trying to figure out all the, all the foi- problems in the world, the foibles. <laughs> well, you're, de- you're depressing me. I don't have a boat, a yacht, and a private jet or anything. Yeah, yet. come on, Brenda, get to work. That's all you got to do, shoulder oh. to the wheel. Just get to work. That's all you got to do. <laughs> or but not. if I did, I would share the wealth. <laughs> would, you, would you share the wealth? That's a good thing. I would. That's how I'm built, yeah. That is a magnificent thing. TBD to be determined, leading with clarity and confidence in uncertain times. Um, Brenda, we have about 30 seconds left in this segment, and then we take a very short break, and then we come back with an entire block of talking to you about this. But kind of a, as a teaser, is there one thing about the book that you want to really focus on? Well, I think it's just a time of year where everybody's going through a lot of transition. So I think the difference between change and transition and some tips for how to manage. I think and we a... can take that in any direction you want. Yep, I love that. That's what we'll do, and we'll be right back in just a couple of minutes okay. with Brenda Reynolds, sure. Tom Bernard Show. Mm-hmm. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost weight loss plan. And now you can find out how to have success losing weight at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth, just like me at their free informational dinner on Monday, June 18th, 6 p.m. at Jake's in Plymouth. Those unwanted pounds will melt away really fast. I've lost over 55 pounds at Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth. After being educated on clean eating, finding out what foods my body prefers, and I now know the foods that are weight gain triggers. As I've said over and over again, the Nutramost weight loss plan is so easy, and they guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food. I'm never hungry. Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you too. Call now to register for the Nutramost Twin Cities in Plymouth dinner. It is on June 18th. To register, call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. I remember when my older brother came home from Vietnam and how proud I was to be seen with him in uniform. I'm a huge supporter of our military men and women and always have been. I've also got a soft spot for women and children. Lincoln said in his second inaugural speech that we should take care of the wounded and care for the widows and orphans. That's exactly what the Gold Star Ride Foundation does. This summer, the Gold Star Ride Foundation will travel across the country visiting Gold Star families on an ambitious adventure to help those families and remind them they are not forgotten. I made a commitment to help this organization just like Weston Choppers, Northlight Color, and Print Media Minnesota, and you should too. It's pretty easy to do. Just visit www.goldstarride.org and click the Donate button. Many of my listeners already have, and that's great, but let's not forget, we're all in this together. www.goldstarride.org. Today's a good day to do it. Be proud of our veterans and their families. Make a contribution today. I love this song. I do too. Very happy song. It's a good thing. Ladies and gentlemen, TBD to be determined, leading with clarity and confidence in uncertain times. Brenda Reynolds, our very special guest today. Before they get to the happiest years of their lives, there's a heck of a lot of change to navigate first. Everyone tells high school grads that college will be the best four years of their lives. I went to college for one day, Brenda, and it was a huge pain. (laughs) I couldn't find a place to park, so I quit. That was just how it was. Well, you know, we tell our kids they're going to be the happiest years of our lives, but we have to navigate a whole heck of a lot of other stuff before we can really get to the happy part. I like this line, by the way, become a master of the now what moment. I like that line. How do you become a master of Thank the now, now what moment? How do you do that? You tack on another major. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot that went into that. I, number one, I think that was always the role in my family. I was the oldest, the oldest kid, and so I was always the one that everyone came to with their problems. And then, um, you know, had a few of my own opportunities, as we all do through life, to ask ourselves, now what, at every juncture. And I gravitated toward work where, you know, leaders, executives, teams, organizations were calling on me and still do to help them through their now what moments. Um, And then on a personal level, in 2008, when the economy took a nosedive, so did my life. I found myself unexpectedly divorcing with two small boys, um, an entrepreneur, you know, with a business, but no 
uh, no guaranteed income, no benefits, and asking myself now what. So uh, I think that all gives me a good amount of experience in that category. You know, I'm kind of hoping that doesn't happen again because I remember before 2008, man, everything was cooking along and was wonderful and everything was fantastic. And then all of a sudden, the well, let me put it this way, Brenda. I'm very close to my children. My son is the uh, chief engineer on the show and contributor to the show. Our daughter is on uh, three days a week, and my wife is on the show usually as well. The two women are not here today. Mm. But I'm very close to my kids. So in 2008, my mother died. My two kids moved out of the house to go to college, and the economy collapsed. It was a hell of a 12-month period. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That was quite the year for me. So, um yeah, I, I, I just... Uh, Everyone relates to that, though. Everyone yeah, relates yeah. to that, Tom. Everyone I mentioned 2008 to has a story. I mean, I think it was the year where we were all really asking that question. You mm-hmm. know, now what? And the problem I have that I carry with me, Brenda, is when is this going to happen again? Because if it could happen once, if if the big banks, Wall Street and the, and the government allowed that to happen, it could certainly happen again. It's terrifying. And so here's, here's my maybe Pollyanna response to that. <laughs> okay. It, it could very well happen because history has this way of repeating itself and mm-hmm. things happen that we cannot believe will happen and things happen that we never think we're going to move through. But the last part of that statement is we have proven that we, we have all taken our now what's in 2008 and we've turned them into a why not, right? Why not? We've moved on. We've achieved some things maybe even as a result of that. So, you know, much like history, uh, we've gone through some pretty scary times and and come through the other end. So I like to think about those times as these bizarre opportunities for doing some deep questioning and coming out the other end. You know what was amazing about that? And I I just began to tell the story now 10 years later. Well, almost 10 years because it was it was a little later than this in the year. When the economy collapsed in what October of two thousand eight, is that when it happened? Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Sounds right. But what I found out, and I again, I just started talking about this all these years later, is that Catherine and I, my wife and I, stepped up to help other people, whether it was monetarily or however we could, and every one of the people, and I mean, um, nearly every one of the people ended up stabbing us right in the back. It was just bizarre. It was like we were in a position to wow. help people, and they really they resented the hell out of the fact that when the economy collapsed, it really didn't put much of a ding in us until we started helping other people. Mm-hmm. And then it got very expensive. Mm-hmm. It was weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they resented mm-hmm. it. Rather than appreciating the help, they resented the hell out of, out of us for it. I, it's, I didn't see that coming at all. Well, there's a concept I talk about in the, well, do I talk about this in the book? I have it as part of a product that I've got. It's called the Now What Transformation Clarity Card Deck. Mm -hmm. And it has a lot of information and inspiration in, in it to help people through times of change. And one of the cards is about what's called the drama triangle. And this is work that was done by a theorist many years ago who looks at what happens in that scenario, right, where you have three people, you have someone who needs you, a victim, um, someone who's, uh, you know, been persecuted by the economy, persecutor, we got a victim, and now we have someone like you and your wife who are in a position to help rescue people. And what's interesting is once you get a full deck, the very people, the, the roles start to change. The very people who are rescuing become persecuted and victims of the people they've rescued. The victims become the persecutors. And it starts to come in, it just sort of starts to spin a circle. And the reason, the way they came up with that theory was observing and and studying soap operas and trying to figure out why people continue to watch soap operas year after year after year. (laughs) And it's because the characters in soap operas keep changing roles. One one season they're the good guy, one season they're the bad guy, and it keeps us kind of engaged. But it happens in life, too. And... um, you know, so the, the key is to kind of be careful when we step into that 
rescue a role and try not to be surprised when we find ourselves being persecuted, which oh. is kind of bizarre, but true. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I would say that somebody, I, and I do talk to people about that, be very, very careful about how you help people mm-hmm. because they will resent yeah. the hell out of you for it. It's, it's, it's yeah. shocking and it's amazing. But it is absolutely true. I never thought it was, I was like, that can't be true. Well, I found out personally it's, it's mm-hmm. very, it's quite true. It's amazing. Very true. But I suppose they, yeah, I don't they know. really want to rescue themselves. I mean, yeah. even in my work as a coach, Tom, I, you know, if I go in to help uh, an organization or a team or an executive, I have to be very careful about it because sometimes you could go in there and say, well, here's what you need to do. And if you do, they're going to resent the heck out of it. Um, instead, you know, I go in and help them figure out for themselves what the answers are so they own them. Mm-hmm. And then I can be a, a trusted partner, not someone who came in and fixed them that they resent. And then, by the way, if it goes wrong, it all comes back on me. So there won't be any shared responsibility. Yeah, well, that's pretty interesting. How did you, so, so in 2008, you ended up, uh, did you own a business or something, or your, did your husband lose his job? Did you lose your job? I have my own consulting practice. I've had oh, okay. it for quite some time, mm. and so I've been in, you know, that's my love. And uh, at that time, you know, I didn't see myself getting divorced. That was really, for me, what the icing on the cake was yeah. in 2008. Not only was the economy falling apart, so was my life. It meant everything in my life changed. I went back inside corporate America for four years, which I never saw myself doing again. I saw myself a single parent. I saw myself moving. Um, Nothing as I knew it was the same again. But what I realized when I was going through that is the very same concepts that I used to work with my clients were the same concepts that were helping me get through that tough time. And vice versa. You know, oftentimes the things that were going on in my personal life were helping me with my clients. So that's when I decided to put a book together that that I've written for leaders, but really it's for anybody. My mother has read it and you know, she uses my own material against me now. <laughs> and uh, well, there you go. <laughs> it's really for anyone going through a life transition because the things I use in work are the same things I, I use in my personal life and other people can too. Now, I don't want to get too personal here, but it fascinates me that, that in 2008, the divorce thing happened. Did, did one, one of you feel that you let the other down? Is that what caused the separation? Was that part of it? It was much messier than that. Okay, um, never mind that. Yeah, it was much messier than that. <laughs> that's, I, yeah. That's yeah. enough explanation. For the sake though. of my family, I'll keep that yeah, to myself. That's fine. But, I, um, I just wonder, because I, I bet a lot of people, <laughs> the reason I ask that is I bet a lot of people did get divorced because... Either the husband, the wife, or both of them thought they let each other down, even though the economy collapsed and there's nothing they could do about it. And you're not going to guard against something like that because that had never happened in your life before. We went through down periods, but nothing like 2008. Well, I think it just put a lot of stress on, you know, relationships, on families, on people's health, on our well-being in general. And now, now, but I, what I will say, though, is looking back on it, I'd never want to go through it again. No. no but no, no. it really put my life on a different trajectory. And so I did come back out and re-engage my consulting practice again, get my freedom, get my feet on the ground. I have two amazing sons who uh, are doing beautifully. And it got me to thinking, okay, now what? What am I going to do now? And I, I did. I started started working on things I would not have done if my life hadn't got turned upside down, like writing the book right. and um, doing a TEDx talk about it, and uh, you know any number of really cool things that that have come as a result of it. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Now I, I have a question for you. Is part of the problem we have now, at least to me, and this is just a personal view viewpoint. Our world leaders right now, not just the United States, but our world leaders for the past. I don't even know, 20 years, let's say. Very, very weak leadership, pretty much around the world. I don't look at one person now like, boy, that's a really great leader right there. The the leaders now Mm -hmm. seem to just pander. They love to pander now, which I'm not a big fan of. Mm -hmm. Um, What's that all Mm -hmm. about? Boy, I need a crystal ball for that one. I think that more and more, a lot of, 
Gosh, this is a risky statement to make, but I think there are certain people, probably some really high caliber quality type people that we'd love to see in leadership roles Mm -hmm. who, frankly, are not interested in pursuing those roles because they are not big egos. They aren't in it for power, you know, and so it kind of weeds out people along the way that really would make great leaders. I think you're 100% correct that the real true people, the the true leaders out there fall by the wayside because they just, they don't Mm -hmm. want, they just don't want to get in a position. Well, first of all, most of our leaders now lie just to get you to vote for them. And that start that's a psychosis to me. It really seems to be. But, um, Hopefully we still do have the, uh, again, we talked about the now what moment, but the, uh, the happiest years of your life coming up. We can still be happy. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping as time goes forward. Well, again, when, it, you know, when you bring up this whole world leader thing, I want to hope that, you know, as crazy as things are right now, mm-hmm. it's a wake-up call. Yes. It's really, it can be. It can be a wake-up call to say, folks, we need good people in these roles. Folks, we need to do some things differently. Folks, what are you going to do about this? You can't just wait for things to happen. What's your part in it? Um, it, it can be that if we let it be, but it's got to start at the individual level. I think it's very true. Did your mother and father tell you to be, did they teach you to be such a strong person? No, here's what my mom and dad did by no attempt in doing so. Um, <laughs> okay. They, uh, my my parents were young parents. They, mm, my okay. mother got pregnant at age 16. Oh, um, interesting. My dad was 18. And so they modeled for me what starting life in complex a complex situation looked like. Yeah, absolutely. And That's amazing. Yeah, and so it was from there, you know, then my mother went on and had two other, my mom, my sister and my brother, uh, all within four years of me. So she had three children under age four by the time she was 21. You know what's great and about that? And so when man. you're the oldest, you grow up fast. You do. <laughs> but, but what's great about that is you either learn to be a great person and a strong person from your parents, or you learn to be a leader yeah. through adversity. You can you can win both ways. Both both sets of people can win. That's great news. That's wonderful. And I'll tell you what I'm so proud of. They are still together. They are a better couple than a lot of families I know. Sure. And uh, they just spent many years taking care of my grandmother, who was 97 when she passed this fall. But they you know they gave five years of their lives to doing incredible things to make her life satisfying at the end. And so they've been incredible role models for me. I think, you know, I've had to be strong in, in ways different than they've had to be strong. But mm-hmm. yeah. um, it, it's been, an, it's set me up to do the work I do. Great thing is you, you definitely qualify just in the last 15 minutes of talking to you. In my opinion, you definitely qualify. The book is called TBD <laughs> to be Determined, Leading with Clarity and Confidence in Uncertain Times. Brenda Reynolds, thank you so much for your time today. You are welcome, and people can find it on Amazon. Um, and find me at bkrconsult.com. Thank you very much, Brenda. Well, I, hope, I hope we talk again. Thank you. Have a good day. I would love it. Look forward to it. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Tom Bernard Show.